0: Red Arms. Give it your all. We will we'll drink the one to the corps Roy. To just dance the, the, the Dyson and And welcome back to another episode of Tales of a Red Arm. I am one of your hosts, Justin.
1: And the other one, James.
0: And we're bringing to you chapter 22, A Path Chosen. It's uh, rather short, but (laughs) we're going to do what we can with that. I mean, it's going to be fairly quick and easy to cover the entire thing since it's not that long. Um, We're going to try to bring a little bit more discussion to this than probably the normal amount that we would normally do, if possible. I make no promises. We don't, we don't script this, we just kind of uh, run with it. Uh, if
1: it. If we did script this, it, most of it would just be procrastinating and just block capitals for a uh, large section of this, of this uh, episode. Yeah,
0: because we don't do that ever at all anyway. Yeah. Nah, <laughs> no, no, we're,
1: we're actually really, like, time effective, aren't we? Efficient,
0: time efficient.
1: <laughs> time effective, time efficient, you know. See, here we are procrastinating. I'm not procrastinating, you're procrastinating. so it begins
0: (laughs) anyway so uh yeah i guess we'll dive into it and try to wrap it up probably not too quickly but there's there's probably not going to be a two-hour episode just throwing that out there um so we wrapped up episode 22 and chapter 21 um with basically Nynaeve finding Lannan and Moraine um, Nynaeve basically getting into conversation slash argument slash you know, catfight with Moraine about <clears throat> what's going on with the Fielders herself and her ability to channel and whatnot and Lannan mostly staying out of that <laughs> I wonder why like, like a smart man um, and then basically them heading south to catch up with the two that are on the river. Um, or that they think are on the river because they're moving many miles south a lot quicker. So it's more reasonable to think they believe them on the river. So they're like, all right, we're heading towards the white bridge. And that's where we're kind of leaving off. And now we're kind of switching gears and shifting over to a different, uh, point of view, Um, back to good old Perrin. So, basically, we start the chapter with Perrin uh, basically sleeping the morning away, essentially. And he had apparently made himself a bed of branches and leaves and stuff, which... That just seems really weird but I guess any type of shelter is better than none. Yeah. Um, and since everything went on during the night, this is about probably the same time frame that Nynaeve finds Lan and Moraine. I would assume reasonably. Um, it was nighttime when they were running around. Now it's beyond sun uh, sunrise. Probably the, uh, roughly the same time. But Different sides of the river. So then we get to um, him still sleeping there and whatnot, and he's having a dream back home at Emmonsfield, working the forge for Master Luhan. and he kind of like quickly opens up his eyes and was like, "Tree branches? What? What?" And then he sits up really fast and he's like, oh, oh, he's looking for his axe and trying to, you know, find somewhere to like, you know, not be completely unarmed and easily pick off. But um, because of all the branches and everything he threw over himself and considering he's a really large guy, he does look a bit like a tree. Um, So we get a little bit of comedic relief in that point after all this not-so-comedic stuff has happened. Um. So, he doesn't notice anything. Not on the other side of the river, not on his side of the river, anything around him. But it's still cold, and he is still very much wet. Um. At night, it wouldn't be warm enough for it to dry him out, and during the day so far, he has not gotten any better. Um. So, basically, we have him going to, uh, like, catch his breath, and, you know, he's worried that he's gonna, you know, his heart will give out before he freaking, you know, gets anywhere, it's like, oh my gosh, Ugh. I mean, waking up after that would definitely probably gonna be one of the very shocking morning waking up, where he's like, I should be freaked out, and like scared in a corner right now I'm taking a really nice lap, nap I could die right now but he sees all these evergreens around him that he had uh, used last night to prevent you know him from you know getting worse off or of wear and also to kind of hide in um so it's kind of hidden kind of not hidden mostly not hidden. I mean, the evergreens aren't, like, jam-packed to each other to where they could become uh, a barrier to uh, watching eyes, um, let alone searching eyes. But he starts kind of shaking off everything, pulling off any extra, like, leaves and whatnot of his clothes, and he gets rid of his, uh, as they call it, a prickly blanket, and then crawls on his hands and knees to the edge of the cops because it's kind of like a little valley bowl i don't know if you've ever seen that in real life it's where it's kind of like there's a divot in the ground even though the ground's technically higher up Mm. um so you get kind of this imaginary valley (laughs) so anybody who's below or off to the side would have a little bit harder time of spotting you um but then he lays and studies the riverbank and scratching all the itchy spots in his body um it was an extremely windy night previously before, but it's kind of a silent breeze now and it barely moves the surface of the water and the river is very big. Like, it's, it's, as he thinks, too wide and too deep for Fades to Cross, um, but it, it doesn't seem to be moving very quickly or anything. It's very calm and there's nothing in it. Um, you don't have any boats coming flying by or whatever. Probably a good, good thing that they didn't because if he gotten on a boat or something, somehow what happens next wouldn't have happened. And (laughs) that's been funny. So he doesn't see anything on the far bank, even though there's a bunch of trees over there, he doesn't see anything that's moving. Um, and he doesn't know what to think of that, because he doesn't want to have anything to do with the Fades of the Trollocs, and he doesn't want them coming over here to chase him. But he's thinking about, like, if if the Aes the Warder, or even his friends, basically showed up, a list of my worries would disappear. And then he proceeds with his, if wishes were wings, sheep would fly. Which is Mistress Lou Hunt's saying. Um, I yeah, don't I think she's that. the first to die term that. Uh, that's not the, sh- the Thank you. That was the- <laughs> My brain's not working that well in that regard. I was like, there's a term. Why do I think it's a dime? Because a dime's a coin, and that's what we're talking about. Anyway, thank you. I knew I had you as a co host for a reason.
1: Yeah, purely for this entire reason. <laughs> To correct you, and the 1% of the time, your brain just frazzles out. and
0: oh, My brain frazzles out a lot more than 1% of the time. So, he hasn't seen his horse since he rode over the bluff, and he hopes it's better, but who knows? We'll find out. Maybe it will be, maybe it won't be. Uh, but he's more adjusted to walking than he typically would be in riding where obviously riding is typically preferred because it's less exhausting for the most part than walking long distances or walking the equal distance. Um, but he, he prefers walking. Um, and it gives a good description of his boots that are, are stout and well sold. Um, so he's in good shape in terms of walking to wherever he wants to go, but he is hungry. But he does have his sling and some snare lines, um, so he could catch a rabbit at some point or another. Um, he doesn't have anything to build a fire with because it was in his saddlebags. But cedar trees can yield tinder as well as a fire bow with a bit of work. So he's he he's a woodsman. He understands, you know, these are the basic needs of survival. These is the things we can do with that survival. So. He's getting hit by the breeze, but he's a little cold still, but his cloak is in the river with everything else he wore being clammy and whatnot. Um, so he doesn't have any way to protect himself from the chill. Um, He thought about hanging his clothes up and getting them to dry, but he kind of decided against it when he considered the fact that it's not really cold, but it's not anywhere near warm. So he's just going to freeze even more while getting his clothes hanging up for who knows how long, if not the the whole day. So... he's thinking about the, the speed at which things can move. So how much time does he need for what things with little time? He can get dry clothes, um, with a rabbit to roast and a fire to roast it over a little time. He's obviously hungry because his stomach rumbles. And he's trying not to think about eating altogether, which in typical, I feel like a normal outcome for this would be to like, you know, find some seeds and suck on them or suck on a stone or something like when you're thirsty or something. Just because it's a, uh... It it keeps your brain working on it rather than focusing on the hunger and whatnot. And as a woodsman who is partially a survivalist, you'd think that would be something he would think of, but oddly enough, he does not. But that's okay, because it's not necessary per se. But... He's he's hungry. He's wet and cold. And he's he's trying to he's trying to think of things that he could do based on importance, but he does them one at a time. And the most important thing is what you do at the beginning. So and it as it points out here, that was his way. Um, so the case of Perrin and his mannerisms and whatnot is he does things his way. And his way is based upon the most time-sensitive issues and what is the most important of the time-sensitive issues, and then putting them in order until he doesn't have those issues to work with. Which is a good starting point, really. So, he follows the Aaron downriver flow, but he realizes he's stronger, obviously, in terms of being a blacksmith, he's stronger than basically everybody in the village, but he's a stronger swimmer than Egwene, and if she had made it across, but he's like, no, 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 not not if, she made it across, so it's more a matter of where she had made it across. Um, but it would be downriver one way or the other, so he, he sits there and thinks a little bit more, and, you know, thumbs up his ground, thumbs the ground with his fingers and considers all the possibilities and saying which one is probably the best route to take. So then he decides to do what he decides to do. And <laughs> he, in the short term. He, he figured out what he was going to do and moved on with it. Um, so he picks up his ax, um, uh, sets off down river. because that's really all he's got to worry about is his ax. And, this side doesn't have very much in the terms of the forest or whatever. And there's clump trees randomly, but a couple might be considered a thicket with, you know, entire swaths of evergreens, but mixed with barren ash and alder and hardgum. And down by the river, they're smaller, but not as close knit. And they give very poor cover, but they're basically all the cover you get. So he's kind of like jumping from tree to tree or whatever could be considered a bush or any type of covering whatsoever. Um, But also it's like dropping to his either a crouch or a full fledged you know, body crawl um, depending on where things are just so he can scout the other side of the river to make sure that no one can see him or knows where he's going to be coming from or make sure he's not caught unawares um and then he remembers that land said the river would be a barrier to fades and trollocs but he's not particularly sure of it um and if they saw him maybe they would decide that he's worth chasing even though they decide against potentially crossing the river and whatnot So, Fades and Trollocs have a reluctance to go across deep water. But he watches anyway to make sure that, you know, he's not coming across anything. Then he goes several miles that way, but then... He sees... A type of... uh, Bits and bits of shelter of growth and willows and stuff like that then he looks at the ground and notices that there's some, you could say, damaged earth where a hoof print was. And it was a clear hoof print. Now, keep in mind, this is a clear hoof print to anyone who is not a city person and is trained in, obviously, woodsman-based stuff. Or, like, tracking or catching things, which basically every kid at the Two Rivers does. Um, so he recognizes, you know, a horseshoe. Uh, considering he makes them and he had a horseshoe with a double crossbar that master Luhan uses for strength, which is probably not extremely common in this region over here where they're currently at. So then he's like, ah, screw it about, you know, who can see me across the river. He just looks specifically for tracks. Um, So basically, he finds some random uh, trails, and he follows it, and finds a bunch of trees that are kind of close together and clustered. And he can, he thinks it's very humorous. So he starts grinning, and um, he goes to all these different branches and making a lot of noise and everything. And then he pulls into this little clearing and stops all of a sudden. And then sees Egwene behind a fire, crouching, but her face not of a great look on it. And a thick branch held like a club, while she's <laughs> backed up to Bella's flank. And <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> uh, she's she learned from me, naive.
0: Yep. A little too much, but it's funny uh. because he feels abashed for running through these trees like it's a freaking bull in a china shop. And he's like, well, I probably should have called out. And she throws down the club and runs over and throws her arms around him. And she's like, I thought you were drowned. You're even still wet, but sit by the fire and warm yourself. Um, Your horse is gone, isn't it? And he lets her push him to the fire, rubs his hand over the flames, and he's glad it's warm because it's been a while since he's had some warmth. Um, she produces an oiled paper packet from her saddlebags, and he got some bread and cheese out of it. Um, it was so tightly wrapped that even after, you know, it's dunking the food was dry, which hasn't mentioned yet how they got across. don't know if they had to, like, find the shallows, or if they just went into the water and pulled him across. I don't know. Um, It's not really mentioned. So he finds it ironic that he's been worrying about her so much, but she's done way better than himself (laughs) so far. (laughs) Um, And then Egwene kind of just continues asking questions even though it's almost as if she read his mind was like, well, Bella got me across and she headed from away from the Trollocs and just towed me along. Um, I haven't seen anybody else. And he understands that she's kind of asking something without actually asking something, which I hate when this happens because it's like, if you're going to ask it, just ask it. Don't be like expecting me to understand what you're thinking. But they're kind of in a similar mindset because they're in a similar similar place and position. And he's like, "Well, I haven't seen anybody but you since last night. No fades or trollocs, but that's that." And Aqwin's like, "But Rand has to be all right. They all do. We all have to be. Um, they're probably looking for us right in this instance, and they might find us now because Moraine's an Ice Eye after all." And he's like, "You know." I keep getting reminded about that, and I freaking wish I could forget. <laughs> and Egwene's, like, a little bit scornful. is like, you know, I didn't hear you complaining when she stopped the Trollocs from catching us last night. And he's like, you know, I, w- I just wish we could do without her, and I suppose we can't, but you know, we can't wait for them to come find us. Whether it be Land, Moraine, or whatever. Um... And she's kind of like, yeah, I know, but she said she'd find us if we're separated. And he's like, or the Trollocs could find us. Moraine could be dead too. They all could be. And She obviously puts up kind of a, a a visual fight in terms of like looking like she's trying to argue with him about it. And he's like, no, it, it's possible. I'm hoping they're fine. And I hope that they'll just walk into the fire any second now, but and he uses this really interesting term, which is hope is like a piece of string when you're drowning. It just isn't enough to get you out by itself. I mean, he has a point. I mean, elvish rope is always useful, though. <laughs> <laughs> poor Matt, or poor Sam. Always thinking he has to leave his beloved rope, and it always comes back to him. Um, so, Eguane closes her mouth and. Sets her jaw to be a little bit firm. And then she's like, well, you want to go down to Whitebridge? Um, if Moraine doesn't find us in this location, that's where she's going to look next. And he's like, well, I suppose that's where we should go. But the Fades probably are already ahead of us in that retrospect, too. And that's what they'll be looking for us and the time we don't have an Aes Sedai or water to protect us from a Fade. And she's like, I suppose you're going to suggest running off somewhere the way Matt wanted to, hiding where the Fades and Trollocs won't find us, or even Moraine? He's like, well, don't think I haven't thought about it, but (laughs) every time we think we're getting away with something, the Fades and Trollocs find us again. And he doesn't know if there's anywhere a place we could hide from them. I just don't like it, but we still need Moraine. And then she does a really strange thing and asks this question. I don't understand then, Perrin. Where do we go? And it's just like, huh? And he's completely caught off guard, which I thought was hilarious. Because she's waiting for his answer. Waiting for him to tell her what to do. Keep in mind, Egwene is very much like naive and they don't like being told what to do. It's just a nature. I mean, technically, nobody likes to be told what they want to do, but it, it stands out amongst Egwene and Naive. So this is seems to be out of character for her. And he's like, it, in his mind, he's, it never occurred to him that she would expect him to take the lead. And, again, Egwene never liked to do anything that someone else had planned out, and she never let anybody tell her what to do, except maybe in the wisdom, a.k.a. Naive. And he thought sometimes she balked at that. So he smooths the dirt in front of him and then starts poking holes and like little dots into the ground. There's a total of three of them, but the first two are Whitebridge and where they are. So then he pokes the third spot and says this is where Camelin should be roughly in this direction. So then he looks at the dots in the dirt and he's based upon what he remembers from his father's old map. And Master Alvier said it was not too accurate but he had never moved over it as much as Rand and Matt. But Egwene doesn't say anything. And he looks up, she's just watching him with her hands in his laps, and then she's like, Camelon? And he's like, "Yeah, Camelin. So you draw a line between the two dots. He's like, anyway, from the river and straight across, nobody would expect that. We'll just wait for them in Camelin. And he, you know, clips his hands together and is like, alright, that's that, right? And <laughs> it's funny. He's like, he's he's waiting for her objections, and he expected that she'd want to take charge and bully him into something because that's what she does. <laughs> and he's like, that's fine with me if she does, but uh, that's what he expected. But to her to his surprise, and probably to hers as well, um, she agrees. It's like, yeah, there must be villages. We can always ask directions. I'm like, okay, that's a little hopeful, I think, but okay. I mean, they're in the okay. middle of nowhere. They they have no idea where they are, and there's no way for them to tell that there is a village. And if there is a village, is it a good village, bad village, whatever? You were
1: saying. I was just say you're gonna say parents. So you just said like, who are you? What have you done with Night Ny- Hit with it <laughs> What
0: have you done with naive? I mean,
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> did
0: you just call me a Night Eve clone? Yes, yes, I did.
1: No, are you gonna hit me? Yes, okay. <laughs> Point proven. If
0: anything though, that branch would break and it wouldn't hardly hurt him considering his skirt statue. <laughs> um
1: uh, I'm trying to remember. I think it was in like Mega Mind here, like here there's just a section where someone's like just smashing objects over like this uh knockoff Superman indeed they're just splintering a shower of race, just not moving. That's <laughs> that's the mental image I've just got right now. She's just saying that's just belt like belting him with uh bits of wood and it's just shattering and splintering everywhere is like Hey, stop that, please. <laughs> I'm like, trying to... right now. It's <laughs> more annoying than anything.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but then Perrin gets a little worried about, like, what if Moraine doesn't find us there? And who'd ever thought that we'd worried about something like that? Like, if she if she doesn't come to Camlann and she thinks we're dead, maybe she'll take Rand and Matt straight up to Tarvalin. And Egwene's like, no, no. Moraine said she could find us, and if she can find us here, she can find us in Camelin. and she will. Perrin's like, okay, well, if you think so. But then it's a uh, a little different thing in Perrin's mind, where he's like, well, if she doesn't appear in Cam- Camelin in a few days, we go on to Tarval and put our case before the Ameralen seat. And just like two weeks ago you'd never even seen an Isandain. Now you're talking about going to. Talk to the Amro seat the head of all the Aes Sedai, and he's a little shocked about this entire situation to begin with. So like, according to Land, there's a good road from Camelin, but he looks over at the oil paper packet that she has and is like, Any chance of getting some more bread and cheese? She's like, Eh, probably no because this might have to last us a long time, unless you're better at luck with snares than I did last night. At least the fire was easy. And she laughed as if she made a joke. And it's just like, yeah, he didn't have a fire last night because he didn't have any supplies. <laughs> and she tucks the packet back in her saddlebags. And <laughs> it's funny because like, apparently there are limits to how much leadership she was willing to accept. <laughs> and his stomach, oh. of course, groans with discomfort. And he's like, well, in that case might as well get started now so he stands up and he's like but, but you're still wet and he's like I'll walk myself dry <laughs> and he starts kicking the dirt over the fire and he's like well if he's the leader it's time to start leading and he just realizes that the wind from the river starts picking up so yeah very very short chapter was there anything you wanted to point out oddities or question
1: uh okay uh this hand crossed my mind and i was meaning to like go back and check it just to make sure that people like hit the right end of the stick or you know even the right stick in the situation um but when rand... oak, not cedar <laughs> <laughs> sorry when when rand was talking to men and he was, talking about, he, like, he, the, um, manner in which he, like, everyone's connected. And I right in thinking that he Min commented here something along the lines of he, that, he, um, Rand and he, sorry, yeah, Rand and Egwene are connected, but not in the way that, like, he intends, in which I took to, took to me, like, romantically. Yeah. Okay, so I am Ryan thinking that.
0: Well, they they I mean we've seen through the story already that consistently they make eyes at each other very consistently through this story. Oh, yeah. And we also went over very heavily, I might add, about the bachelors of the two rivers <laughs> and how odd that was. Um, we also went over the noticeable married marriageable age. So the deduction is typically leaning into the point where when he says she's not for you and you are not for her it's relaying the romantic like yes i know you like and from men's perspective she's saying yeah i know you like her and i know she likes you but it's not going to work out the way you think it's going to work out and Mm -hmm. that's 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 basically what that instance was talking about i'm not sure what that has to do with what now we're at now though but
1: I know I'm not. Ex- I know, but I mean, like, it's a like quite a stretch. But like, you know, we haven't exactly seen it you know, like how, how Agui and he like Perrin like sort of interact. You're, like, we haven't seen, like that. Situation. I mean, we like, know that he
0: she bullies him because he mentioned it in this chapter.
1: Well, oh, who, who like who doesn't bully who at this point?
0: Perrin doesn't bully anyone.
1: Yeah, actually, yeah, that's very fair. He he's just happy to be here, except uh-huh. not really, but. <laughs>
0: He's, I just imagine him walking around. I'm just happy to be here. <laughs>
1: yeah. I don't know. If, we, if we, like, I, if I, like, I would say, I mean, I wouldn't even equipment. say
0: Matt doesn't bully anybody. Rand doesn't really bully anybody that I know of. I mean, so far, the only people who bully anyone that is a man would potentially be Lan. And that's mostly not from him bullying as much as commanding. And that's yeah. typically because it's a life or death situation, not just because he's willy nilly.
1: I mean, you know, uh, Tom, is he, like ready to take the rise out of someone, but yeah, you know, that's because he had the, he's, he's actually got like a leg to stand on. Just be like, you're telling that story terribly. <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, there's there's a lot of interconnection, and there is a lot of. I'm not sure what you'd call it particularly, but. There's a lot of discussion on how things will intertwine based off of what we've already heard in the story. Like, what important things happen now that we wouldn't know of before and how will that react to everything else. Because, like, we have men talking about certain things that almost seem prophetical in nature. And we also have the prologue doing heavy prophetic things in nature um so at what point do we be like okay this is the one or this is what they're planning on and i don't know it's just like what could come of this because the thing about prophecy is that it's not very obvious it's it's very like you could take something as like extremely literal And I mean extremely literal. But there's nothing to say that that's what the actual prophecy means. And as we learn more about the other prophecies, as we get closer to that point too, it's not necessarily straight cut and forward to the point where we would understand, you know, what those prophecies actually entail as opposed to what we think they might entail based off of a a quick superficial understanding or educated guess about it, or I should say uneducated guess since even with the best educated guess is still probably uneducated on most things. Um, but it is interesting to note that they are, um, Still partially at least communicating about these types of things in prophecy. That way we can have a the, the instance with Egwene and Rand will happen the way they happen, but then you get like Egwene with in a situation with parents like, well, is she gonna fall in love with him? Is he the one she's gonna get with? Or is she going to get with Matt later on? Or is she not going to get with a main character or even a sub main character or a supporting character? Like maybe she marries some random peasant on a farm somewhere, you know, like you don't know when you first start the series. So you're you're not going to be able to calculate. I mean,
1: yeah, will, will she, she
0: even get with anybody for the first like six books? You, it's just not there until you get to it. You, you won't know.
1: Yeah, she actually uh, disappears from the plot altogether I mean, for like the range of the book, and then he had the next book, because they like, "Oh, this is my husband, Steve." Yeah, <laughs> just... I mean, just yeah, just still like, hey, who, is he? <laughs> who is this guy?
0: <laughs> I can see he ran getting like, why didn't you marry me, instead of him? <laughs> and then in the back of his mind, he'll hear the echoes of Min's prophecy saying. She is not for you, nor you for her, and he'll start crying uncontrollably. <laughs> you
1: know, uh, I don't. I don't suppose either you watch uh, Puffin Forest because he, there's um like a wrong joke in one of his videos where like he. Well, you sentence. better go catch it. Does <laughs> he uh, just be, like a joke, of me, it's just like a sentient soul that like wants people in and just he like, goes, "I warned you," constantly. <laughs> I can just imagine the house in the distance you just see shouting I warned you. Is
0: is this is this like the story is like the sword that warns you. It's like that's the name yeah. of it. Can't say I have, but I'm assuming it's a, probably a British thing.
1: Now, Pumpkin Forest is American uh dandy um Oh, anyways. it's a podcast? Yeah.
0: I I don't do every podcast, so I only know certain ones.
1: Yeah, such as he... he, Red Arms at the Table. Let's do it now.
0: (laughs) Such as what? Shill,
1: shill, shill. Red Arms at the Table. Shill, shill, shill. Even though you're listening to it right now. Red Arms at the Table. Red Arms at the Table. Wait, no. Tails a Red Arm. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's not table, it's tail. (laughs) Tail, table. Close enough.
0: Well, viewers, if any of you are interested in a co-host role, I seem to be needing a new
1: one. (laughs) We've only my, just broken cr- half an hour. Do you know what this is? Just <laughs> I'm going insane trying to think of you to fill the time slot now. Just well, we're
0: already closing it on like forty minutes and you still don't even know the name of our freaking podcast.
1: Oh, oh, boy, is man. This I don't know. I'm
0: gonna have to start contacting other podcasts like Prancing Pony, but like, can you guys come over and help fill us in on man. some stuff? I don't know if you've read the story or not, but we could use your assistance.
1: <laughs> well what well what can I say? I've been locked in a room this entire time. Well, I mean, I think all of us have to some extent.
0: The only bad point of that is when it's the bathroom. Uh just,
1: uh, just see the fact that I meant that as a joke, but everybody, actually, like, being... everybody
0: makes jokes and I'm just like, No, I was being serious. And they're like, Yeah, I don't yeah. get why.
1: Yeah, one, once again, uh comedy reflexy uh reflects reality or vice versa
0: i like to think reality reflects com- comedy because then it makes everything funnier the other way around as it's not about nearly about as funny as much as it's depressing
1: as opposed to tragic <laughs> yeah,
0: i know it's like this is so tragic oh some of these stories though uh, anything else that you thought was interesting about this besides your uh, uh tables
1: uh yes aside as from me my uh, secret secret shilling with ikea <laughs> <Just> <laughs> trying to find any money. aside
0: from my shilling of a podcast that doesn't exist <laughs> uh
1: yeah there really is not actually that much to extrapolate from this although i do like the way that he like again
0: well i see. i have a couple questions then i could ask you
1: Okay, I was just gonna say quickly that I like the way that here we do see sort of per- you know, like Perrin's, um thought process as he like he sort of says he like, okay, this is a war here like everyone expects to happen, but no one's going to expect this, so you
0: know. Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Again, it's, it's interesting to actually see like him. It's a good thought process in motion. And, uh... Yeah, you know, actually kind of proving himself to actually be, like, a well-thought-out person.
0: Well, I mean, he always does mention, almost every time we see him so far, is that uh, he he likes to think. And he appears to be slow-witted, even though he's just thinking things through. Which, kudos to him for doing that, because even I struggle with thinking things through. Because I'm just so used to doing something that I jump into it and I'll adjust it later. Where he's adjusting it before he does it. So kudos on parent of that. Um, but I guess one a uh, couple of questions I could ask you since your insight will be interesting to hear. Um, earlier, we have. Uh, let me go back a couple of pages. Um, we We see a little, a little bit about how he deals with things. So for the first part of this chapter, before he, before he runs into a how do you think he did in terms of keeping himself alive and dealing with the instance and everything while thinking about it?
1: Uh, well, I know that, you know, I kind of walked out. I think at the beginning, I feel like the whole sort of sleeping. He was sleeping under, like, fr- like brunches and leaves and all that, but, you know, makes sense. And he, like, you know, he survived the night, so he was obviously doing something right. Um, but and That the could actual- be an accident, though. But, possibly. But, uh, the. I don't know. It's actually sort of me. for you just see, like, um, Think out here, like you know, his immediate needs, and act upon them. You know, depending on your, like, was what is the most you know, like uh, pressing need, and you know, such. I, don't know, I get the feeling that he, like, he probably could be fed. Probably the best out of like the M fielders. Probably, well, probably him and Nynaeve Eve would probably like he do the best. I imagine like Egwene and Matt would probably do the worst. Why do you think they do better? Uh, well, i like, like he prides himself on the fact that he she's a track, a tracker a hunter, and I, well, from that he I sort of strongly that she's a survivalist.
0: Well, and everyone the, in the two rivers is a survivalist to some extent.
1: I know, but he, like, here some people he are like better, better at that than others. That's at least he, like he, the like what I'm reading from. Uh, like witnessing each character.
0: Well, all three of the boys, like Rand, Matt and Perrin, all can use a slingshot and pluck something out of the sky and whatnot. Like they have, they're they're deadly accurate because that's how all of them are raised. Um Nynaeve had her little story where her father raised her like the son he never had. So she had a lot of experience in these things until she got to a certain age, but she still understands these certain things. Um Because back then in that time frame, uh, like pre-Renaissance and whatnot, you made your living, even later on to some extent, uh, you made your living off the land. So You had to survive off said land. So learning to track uh, tracks, whether it be rabbit, deer, bear, mountain lion, lion, Leopard, whatever. Like, whatever the actual possible wolf. Um, If you have to chase down a a cow that gets out of its pen. um, Or sheep that do the same thing. Donkeys, horses, whatever. You you have to learn to follow that stuff. It wasn't just like, oh, I guess we're just going to give up on our animal now. Like, you actually had to do things fairly consistently. Such as tracking. And one of the more important aspects would have been tracking to kill a rabbit, squirrel, um, any other larger beast or whatever that can feed your family and whatnot. And then that was how you did it. But I don't know. I mean, from my perspective, I think he didn't do too bad. All things considered that he's away from home. He's utilizing what he knows that he can do from back when he was home. In a situation where he's not necessarily fond of the situation, so I'd say, um, all things considered, he probably is doing pretty good.
1: Well, I mean, you know, in the, like this situation, like, just like, like being like, oh, you know, if I'm hungry, I can do just just like, eat snap my snap myself a rabbit. Like, if I was in that situation, that that is like just no possibility. just. <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, you have to put yourself in his shoes. Assuming you had the training of tracking and uh, catching animals or killing animals with a slingshot. Would that be the first thing you would turn to when you got hungry? Because like nowadays, we don't know how to like kill a rabbit with a a sling and a stone. We don't know how to skin it ourselves. We take it to a butcher, or somebody who is skilled in that area, and they do it for you. Like it's. We're in very different worlds, so how we would deal things are obviously going to be different. So I mean, yeah. <laughs> but I guess the second question, cuz that was just the first question. Um how do you think how do you think Egwene did with survival at instinct? Not necessarily a survival uh, stick, I should say. How, how do you think she did in the survival access?
1: I think that, um... I don't know. I can see it from me. Like, the manner in which Perrin found her, she probably... Well, she, she had a fire going. Don't... She had supplies here, so that didn't really... The aspect of hunger didn't really come into it. Um... But again, you just see from like the manner in which he that like, you find so. I imagine she was probably just scared out of her wits at the moment. Just would be like the fact that she just there, to see like clubbing hands, just like being, like, okay, here I am. Well, <laughs> like, nothing kills me.
0: <laughs> I'm not necessarily saying it like that, but I'm thinking like, okay, when she got here, what things did she do right? What things did she do wrong? Well, she started a fire, which is the right thing. Um, She wasn't successful in catching a rabbit, which means that she attempted to, but was not successful. Now, I am familiar with the concept of using a wire trap to catch a rabbit, and I know that they don't always work. Or I should say a snare trap. But um, it's one of those things where if done properly at the right time, the right location, you can almost always snare something at the very least. Um, So, I mean, I wouldn't worry too much about it, but in terms of her, her, her instincts based off of like, yeah, she was treated in survivability stuff, but she's also more of the city girl than Perrin might be considered a city boy um well any of the boys for that matter <laughs> because they all grew up in the area but matt and perrin were closer to this the actual town where ran was out in the middle of nowhere and Egwene was from local if i remember correctly so not a whole lot in that front but just, just in the survivability, I don't think she did too bad, even though she didn't necessarily succeed in catching rabbits, but that doesn't mean she doesn't know how to catch rabbits, I guess is where we we'll go from there. And I'm sure as we go along, we'll learn a bit more about whether or not they have these skills at all times, lose them for a time frame, or whatever. Um, I guess the other question would be, based off of Perrin and Egwene's conversation... Which of the two do you think should be in charge, and why? Or, I guess the other question is, should either of them be in charge? Should there be a charge at all?
1: I think I need like a sort of duo situation. No one a really co-op. Should be. Yeah, no, no one should be like, I'm the leader. You do as I say because, you know, the of the well. Not so everybody
0: like, acts like a jerk like you just did right there. <laughs> you do as i say because i'm the leader no yeah. that's that's not how good leaders do things um,
1: just, but yeah just like sort of going on here like an idea sort of like absolutist sort of thing where, like we're doing things my way i think that's that way of going thing doing things um i don't think they're going to
0: you do know i'm an absolutist right
1: <laughs> of course <laughs> you were saying but, um, yeah, I don't imagine like they're going to act like that. I think Perrin is most likely going to take the lead on most things because well, I. It appears if,
0: that Egwene's expecting him to. So
1: yeah, she's she's expecting him to just because I think if that like any like this moment in particular, her fantasy of it like you know Grand Avenge has sort of been shattered by like, you know possibly everyone's everyone's either scattered to like in the four corners of the world or they're dead i don't know what's going on so I mean, i'm scared i would
0: say more accurately the four corners of the country but yeah They <laughs> haven't really well, made it out of the, no. out of that range yet we're still in the same country
1: and so that's either that and also i imagine it that she's kind of in i don't know she is, is somewhat like a slightly impulsive character who like acts upon her emotions quite a lot, which is probably not There are a
0: lot of people like that.
1: Yeah, but you know, that's still I'm trying to remember the exact saying. I think it was here like a cool and level head is the best thing you can bring to any situation. Which is very much how what do you describe Perrin.
0: Yeah. He's not necessarily as emotionally charged as a going is. I mean, yeah. I wouldn't say he's lands level of emotional expression, <laughs> but few people are. Um, but you'll also, you also learn in the series that there are a lot of people you come across that seem to be emotionally expressionless. It's just that they, they grew up in different cultures and different places so how they define things like if you're out there laughing your head off because you thought the joke was funny and they're like, I don't get the joke, they're looking at you with a blank space. But then if they tell a joke that you don't find funny, but they think it's hilarious and they're all laughing and whatnot, it's 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 a different point of view, which is different than, you know, the, the typical. Like, they just don't have emotion, etc cetera, et cetera. I am a person who doesn't typically have emotion like. Yeah, people are like, oh, you laugh. I'm like, well, yeah, I laugh because it's preferred to the opposite of no anything. But when I think of emotion, I typically think of the, the extremes, like getting angry over something nonsensical or whatnot like that. I, I typically put myself in the logical camp rather than the emotional camp. Um, I should say probably the, uh, the, uh, the rea- in terms of a reactionary, like do I react to things out of emotion or do I react to the things out of thinking? And I typically put myself in the thinking camp as opposed to the emotional camp. Um. In this particular instance, I mean, Egwene isn't hot-headed like Nynaeve is. Necessarily. Um. I think she can be hot-headed if she wants to be. But I don't know if it necessarily benefits her to be hot-headed at this point. Or necessary. Um. What would it look like if Egwene took over? Probably, I mean, she could make some good suggestions. She could make some bad suggestions. I mean, everyone will do that. Um, I do think, though, that she's probably more susceptible to the emotional aspect as opposed to Perrin, who's, as he likes to describe himself and as the story keeps describing to us, a thinking person. Which doesn't imply uh, emotion, it implies action, and uh, the basis in which you come to the conclusion that whatever option you pick is, in fact, the right option. That is what it is. But, um, I would think out of the two, they're both better off with Perrin in the lead, because Perrin doesn't just spout nonsense, and he doesn't do things because he's power-hungry or anything. Egwene probably is more power-hungry than Perrin. Um, however, in this particular instance, she's more worried about getting to the place at the right time. Although she is also way, way, way more optimistic than I would be about this, considering she's like, hey, there's villages in between here and Camelot. I'm like, well, there might be, if you're lucky. Um, so yeah, I mean, eh. I would personally probably vote for Perrin to be in charge due to the fact that he is extremely level-headed and he likes to think about things. Egwene's not really that type of person. She's kind of emotional about things and she gets upset really easily. Um, But when it comes down to... uh, their actual actions and whatnot—it's not horrible. It, it could be improved upon, but it's it's not horrible. Um, did you have any questions for me, or
1: uh, outside of the men question? Uh, not really. Although actually, one did kind of just like cross my mind as we're doing this because. Um, well, we spoke about this here before before to that. Um, the story is effectively we're basically near enough to like the midpoint of the story at the moment. Um, almost, <laughs> or, almost we're getting there. But uh, did uh Robert Jordan intend either this to be a series here, like starting, starting out, or was it he sort of just he like did the first book, became a success, and then he decided to carry things on?
0: Oh, no, 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 no. The- He had several in the works one way or the other. Um, Okay. This first book was published in 1990, but there's no, I don't know if there's a definitive answer on whether or not um, he had multiple books made before he published them, and he just published them like a year spread apart or whatever. Um, I mean, I could go through and find you all their release dates and give you an idea, but the way this story is written, it is by no means a single book story
1: okay because I was like trying to think of it, like just in my mind here like where I imagine like the story to actually go because either you know there's only so much space left in this book.
0: I think typically I mean now we know it's a 15 book series, but I think yeah, typically now, now we know but I think typically people who write more than one book, are expecting at least a trilogy. Now I get the impression from Robert Jordan that he was expecting a really long series. He probably has a better mental capacity to, than myself, I should say to, um, think about the whole book and be like okay here's all the things i want these characters to do here's what i want them to do blah 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 blah, blah and have like that outline for like the skeleton of, of the book and be like okay yeah this is going to take a bit of time it's going to be at least you know x amount of books and then he just starts writing on them publishes the first one writing on the second one publishes the second one etc 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 and then obviously as his books are released and people slowly get get a hold of them and pay attention to them and then it becomes like a cult based off of the fans loving everything about the series, because it's an excellent series. Um, But in terms of like, I think he's more prone to, or I should say he was more prone to give information that he knew he could write a book with this section of information. And then, He'd be like, "Okay, from this point to this point is gonna be the first book. I know the core of it. Now I'm gonna go flesh it up a bit." And then he like starts fleshing it in with backstories, with prophecies, and all that. Sorry, the dogs are barking because they just go nuts because they can apparently. Um, but in terms of like where he wants to go, with the story, I think I don't know if he necessarily knew every detail. Like he didn't have all fifty-three chapters of this book memorized before he wrote it. I think he just had the core, like, here's some of the characters. Here's the directions I want to take them. And then he ran that way with them. And he knew at the beginning that it's going to be more than a book, more than likely. He might have just written the story thinking how far it was. And then he realized when he got 50 pages, fifty chapters in, I'm going to need a couple books for this. <laughs> and then he went from there. I don't know his exact thinking, obviously, because I'm not Robert Jordan. And maybe somebody asked him a question we could probably find. In the historical documentations of his interviews or his uh, con visitations and whatnot, but um, I would like to think that he knew at least he was going to do a trilogy before he got any further. And then he, as he was getting through, he's like, "Oh yeah, I'm going to do way more than a trilogy." <laughs> um, but maybe from the beginning, he's like, "Yeah, I'm going to go for at least a minimum ten books." I don't know. Uh, not many book series have that many books, and usually the ones that do have a lot of content so i'm just thankful yeah. this particular series has a lot of content
1: but I, I guess that someone answers my question i guess just because they like i don't know i don't know either, like whether or not he like this is going to end with a necessarily like satisfying conclusion and or it's are you talking just about either...
0: this book or are you talking about the series
1: uh the book like the the this current because I don't know if it like it is sort of like kind of comes to a relative conclusion at this point and then sort of like carries on to the second book or is so it like literally just like straight continuation on the next. But I guess I I'll do it, anything eventually.
0: It's not like he left mid sentence and then you have to pick up the second book to read it. To like to finish out what that sentence said. Um there is a definitive style for wheel of time books and how they begin in the end so you'll see that as soon as we finish this one you could expect the same thing out of the second book in terms of how it begins and it ends um i believe every single chapter has an epi or every single book has an epilogue and a prologue so you'll always expect them to be there they're probably not going to be super 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 long If anything, they're usually very, very short. But that's what they're supposed to be. They're not necessarily doing it. Now, prologue's almost always long. There are occasional short ones. The epilogue's typically just like, and now we're wrapping it up, kind of thing. And we we get through that pretty quick. So I wouldn't worry about it too much. But you'll see once we finish this one. But I, I do think this one stopped at a good, reasonable point. I kind of was like wow and then you get to the second book and it kind of starts off in place that just seems a little odd to me personally but for a new person maybe it'll be a little different so i look forward to hearing what you think about that Yeah, oh, goody don't worry we're getting there eventually anything else before we uh call it goods
1: no i was just gonna say speak of uh getting there i think it we're almost I think at, the, at the end of our runtime, as we've yeah. just working out well thereabouts
0: i've kind of run out of questions <laughs> i know as soon as we as soon as we uh, rock this recording up and post it it's gonna be like oh by the way here's another question it's like ah
1: right <laughs> uh, we're recording this on a monday can you tell
0: <laughs> <laughs> every day is a monday um
1: it uh, feels like it
0: yeah so i guess uh we should run off with the classical ending outro for this podcast. So I guess here we go. Um, thanks all for listening and hanging out with us and whatnot. And, uh, we hope that you guys will join us again next time for the chapter 23, um, wolf brother and get to learn some interesting things about different characters. And, uh, maybe some of it, you will see it coming. I doubt most of you will. Um, but, I don't know. At least for my benefit, I'll get to enjoy it, reactions and whatnot. Um, but yeah, if you would join us next time, and maybe we can get a little uh, interaction with different people on what they think, but we'll see how that works. <laughs> I make no promises, because that depends on you folks. But if you would like to share your reactions with us, you can get a hold of us at talesofareddarm@gmail.com at gmail.com to talk to us directly, if you want to keep it private personal or whatever or if you just want to make it the easiest form of contact um you can also get a hold of us on twitter by going at tales of a red arm and you can also meet us up on facebook at tales of a red arm and basically just commenting on posts and seeing what's going on and if anybody has any particular questions they themselves wanted to worry about um or have other people share in there curiosities or something that'd be a great place to reach out to us at and yeah i mean the best thing you can do to help us out would be to share it with people that you know and see what they uh see what they think about the show themselves and i, I know the prologue slash first chapter or well, i should say the prologue last chapter, the, the prologue slash introduction isn't usually the most entertaining let alone the uh, best episode but it's always the one that gets heard the most but if you just tell them to hold on beyond that we can get a little bit more interesting content as we go but um, if you're ever looking for recommendations on where to get a copy of the book or something uh, let us know and we'll see what we can do for you um, i know you could probably get it on amazon but i i typically ask people to go check out their Local bookstores and be like, hey, they probably have it because it's a very popular series and people have read it and will turn it in because they've already read it. And then there are others like me who read it and get more because <laughs> we like it so much. So it, different people do different things, but um, help out your local shops before you jump into the bigger companies because they don't necessarily need your money. Um, but Hey, I'm a mom and pops person myself. So once again, we thank you all for hanging out with us. Um, we'll see you guys uh, next week and cheers.
1: Until then. We drink, we
0: drink all, all night and, and dance, all dance all day. day. And, and all on the, the girls will send up, pay. And when we're done, then we'll await we'll we'll the dance with Jack, Jack of the, the Shadows. shadows. We'll, we'll toss the, the dice dance, however they fall, and snuggle the girls, be they shot or tall, then follow young Matt wherever he, he calls, calls to, to dance with Jack of the Shadows. We'll, we'll toss, toss the, the dice however they fall, and snuggle the, the girl, girls, be they shot or tall, fall, and follow then follow Lord Matt wherever he calls, to dance with Jack of the Shadows. Well, we'll give, give a life. yell with a bloody curse And hog the maids it could be worse And it's ride away with the dark was first To dance, dance with Jack of the, the shadows. shadows Yeah! <laughs> <laughs>